2: So uh fun story. Yes. I was going to paint my BattleTech minis. Okay, gotcha. Um are these bo- the
1: printed or the purchased ones or both? Both. Okay. I was starting gotcha, with the gotcha, purchased gotcha. ones
2: because purchased ones the the resin minis are easier to paint mm-hmm. than the uh 3D printed ones. Uh just because there's less there's less capillary action that happens. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you have to do multiple prime coats on 3D printed minis and you have yeah. to get uh, filler primer. And I don't have filler primer on hand right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I still have to go to, like, Lowe's and pick up some filler primer. But that's another thing. So I go to – I use a wet palette, right? Yes. Um, because I like it because it lets you do gradients really easily. Because mm-hmm. you just place – you place a drop of paint on one side and then place another drop, like, a couple inches away. And then you blend them together and you get a gradient. Yeah. Just naturally from the, the way that the process works because there's a lot of liquid. Yeah. So I open up my wet palette that I hadn't opened in a month. Uh-huh. And it was covered in mildew. Oh, yeah. So I was just like, well, I'm just going to get rid of this palette because the, the sponge was already bad on it. Yeah, yeah. And all that good stuff. So I was just like, all right, I'm just going to get a new palette. Mm. So that killed my momentum. <laughs> So I haven't painted any, uh, Battletech minis yet. Oh. (laughs) Even though I got a new palette. So, you know, eh, it's life. Yeah. The, um, I have been printing up a storm though, because I finally, I noticed, I saw your post
1: on Instagram of the, uh, the, the train and looked at it and it's like, he's been busy. (laughs) Yes. That's that's i don't know how many people looking at it would go that's a lot of time but that was a lot of time yeah i
2: i've i've basically had my 3d printer running 24 7 for the past week yeah um i almost have a full board damn right on yeah it it took a lot to dial it in though because you know it's it's hexagons and they're supposed to be interlocking Mm -hmm. so it took a little bit of time to get the um I had to find the right Z setting to get the the pieces to stick well enough to the board. Gotcha. So then that way they maintained that uh, that proper hexagonal stuff, and yeah. I also played with multiple layer heights, I found point two to be the best layer height for that. Nice. Do you do anything to improve adhesion to the platform, or do you just print uh, right onto it? So what I did what I did was uh, I played with temperature settings of because okay. uh, I have a heated PEI bed. Yeah. So I play with temperature settings, and I um, I also play with the z the z height to determine how low the first layer was. Mm-hmm. So if I squash it in a lot a lot more than I really should, I get better adhesion uh, for the first layer. Okay. And I've just been basically printing the same shape so many times that there's yeah. actually a a discoloration in the PEI sheet now, <laughs> which is pretty great. Um but yeah, no, I eventually I'll actually play Battletech. <laughs> uh,
1: I found but... that uh pre print you have to have something on the bed, like a sheet of something. It sounds like you're using a PEI sheet or for using a sheet yeah. of captain film or what have you. But just before um the nozzle hits the right temperature and the print starts, if you mm. hit it with a light spray of I found the purple Aussie hairspray works best. Oh really? Um, and then it start printing it, it helps it stick
2: to the platform a little bit better um, i I actually don't really have adhesion problems yeah. to be totally honest okay i okay. uh if the part's big, I'll get a little lift, but it's yeah. not like but that that's just that's not an abnormal thing when a when a piece is so big it just kind of yeah. curls a little
1: does you're using p l a right yeah does your um extruder head have like a little fan that shoots air yep. down onto okay
2: yeah 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 i got that running at max value okay so yeah i i found that tweaking the speed there's a there's like a there's like a goldilocks area for speed yeah. tweaking cuz on my printer you can speed it up to like 125 or you yeah. know 130 i don't like to go above 130 cuz then it gets it starts to get too fast you start mm-hmm. to lose quality yeah but i find 125 to be the sweet spot okay right on it's but all about them feeds and speeds, man. Yeah. So this is completely unlistenable to anyone who's not interested <laughs> in three 3- D <3D> printers. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I I don't know. It's fun. I, I you know what I really want to do what? is I want to get a little bit better at like CAD and three D S Max and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm not sure which but um i want to start working on uh converting like like i want to rip the 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 models from mm. the PlayStation Beast Wars game oh and then start working on uh Beast Wars PlayStation versions so i can like yeah. you know actually play around with it a little bit and make mm. like miniature uh maximals and decepticons yeah, that'd be cool. That
1: might be non-trivial. Oh, no. it's Here's the
2: thing. I know it's non-trivial. Okay. What i probably those, do...
1: Those models are, in the game, they yeah. tend to be surface bodies, and when you yep. print, you can't have just surfaces. So yeah, you have yeah. to, like, stitch all the different faces together and, like, fill everything in, and yeah.
2: Yeah, no, I'm aware. <laughs> okay. Somebody was asking me for 3D printing advice for how to rip 3D models from games. And I was like, yeah. it's not easy. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. thanks. And I'm like, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> we had a short one last week. I thought you were going to have a short one this week. Past tense. Thought. So I, I think I remember sending you a text message... Yeah. About, yeah. So I hadn't come up with a cryptid until yesterday uh-huh. at the time of recording. No shit. No shit. So I was like, well, let's do an easy one. Oh, God. I'm looking for the text.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you said something like the story wrote itself.
2: Yes. Because I was going to do something different. Uh-oh. And then... I started working on the story. Yeah. Let's get into uh, you guessing what I did it on. So. Okay. The first sighting was uh-huh. sometime in the, uh, let's say, uh, let me just, uh, 1700s, roughly. The first okay. recorded sighting. Um, its taxonomy is snake. And its region is North America. What cryptid did I pick this week? Uh, oh yeah, we're also also we're Cryptopedia. That's oh yeah, amazing.
1: yeah, we're Cryptopedia. We do a podcast about monsters and shit. Uh. <laughs> 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 what the hell? Seventeen hundreds.
2: Yep, that was the first sighting of it.
1: I can can I get like just super general region: North, South, East, West America? Uh i'm i'm
2: thinking i'd say eastern to the southeast southeast it's southern there's a lot of them there's a lot of sightings of it southern and there's a lot less sightings of it now
1: okay so i i can't think so here here's my train of thought i'm thinking early america south Mm -hmm. i'm thinking spanish troops okay so that that's where my head's at right now so i'm your your head's in the wrong direction no shit okay well then I'll stop thinking that way. A giant fucking snake. A giant snake. Um I didn't say giant. Oh, not giant. Oh but wait an a interesting minute. Snake. Wait a fucking minute. Wait yeah. a minute. You yeah. dirty son of a bitch. You yeah. dirty son of a bitch. It's a hoop yep. snake. It's a hoop snake. It's a hoop snake. We're doing hoop snakes. Oh man. I'm excited for this one. i so here's I'm, a... I'm pretty excited.
2: Here's the fun thing. Yeah. I was originally gonna have this be a grab bag of fearsome critters. Yeah. And the hoop snake was the first thing I chose. Yeah. I started going down the hoop snake uh, rabbit hole. Uh huh. There's more to the hoop snake than I expected. <laughs> Holy shit! That's amazing. That's pretty so, awesome. Uh, copies in the in the broadcast folder. Nice. So, yeah. We're doing the hoop this week. Sweet. Uh so I'm going to let, let's let's just lead in with a uh, a quote from Fearsome Critters. Uh it's the uh, the dedication of the 1939 edition. Okay. <laughs> hydrating. To those who, huh? I said hydrating. Hydrating. Mm-hmm. To those who have held the bag on a snipe hunt, who have jumped sideways at the call of the tree squeak, who have studied the trail of the side hill. Sid Hill Sidehill Side, Hill. Side mm-hmm. Hill Gallagher and who perhaps have ringside seats at a badger fight this little collection sympathetically dedicated so that's the dedication I'm uh,
1: excited I also want you to do more critters because I've never heard of a tree squeak
2: yeah oh there's like 40 50 of these oh, so I pretty nice. much have a year's worth of episodes just on fearsome critters that's fantastic if they're all half as interesting as the hoop snake, I probably yeah. have a year's worth of episodes. <laughs> That's nice. So, uh, the fearsome critters are, for those who don't know, are an associate assortment of tall tales and local legends. Canonically, they were collected in a 1939 book by Henry H. Tyron, uh, Tryon, "Fearsome Critters." There's also another book that came out later, but. For the sake of this particular episode, uh, the hoop snake makes its first, in my opinion, canonical appearance in that book. Mm-hmm. So, and it doesn't appear in the second book. Um, the majority of these so-called critters originated yeah. as lumberjack stories. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, this is a little little excerpt by Henry H. Tyron about like why mm-hmm. he recorded these stories. It occurred to me then that these tales originating chiefly in the logging camps and on the drives were a definite bit uh, – That's a weird <laughs> use of the word definite. A definite bit of American folklore in an inte- integral part of the history of American logging and lumbering and well worth reporting. So he's basically a um, cultural anthropologist for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Folk, he's a folklorist. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so, pretty cool.
1: I like that it's like American – lumberjacking folklore cuz that, that's something that you don't immediately think where is a nice piece of folklore going to originate from early America. You don't immediately go to lumberjacks.
2: Well, I mean like the uh Paul Bunyan stories originated with lumberjacks. True. Right? oh no, that's true. Um and then you've got the what is his name? Uh Honey
1: Dipper Dan. Honey Dipper Dan? That's a Paul Bunyan joke from um uh Mad TV. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, oh, I
2: just remembered that.
1: He's Honey Dipper Dan. <laughs>
2: oh, it's Will there's Sasso. like a there's like a whole like segment on Honey Dipper Dan. Oh yeah. One second, trying remember. Oh god. Oh. Oh man, it's so much it's so good. It's it was pretty good. I it's I got a so solid good. joke out of that. Oh, that was such a good. <laughs> Mad TV was one of those shows that when it was great, it was phenomenal. They tried to reboot it. Did they really? It didn't go over well. Well, if you don't have Will Sasso and the guy who played um Bobby Lee, Bobby Lee, and then uh Stewart
1: What's oh, um uh, Michael, I forget his last name.
2: Yeah. yeah. You need those 3 for it to be watchable. Yeah. They 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 carried that show. But regardless, and actually kind of related, mm-hmm. uh the stories themselves, like these tall tales, are basically improv. Oh, nice. Because and they act as like an ancestor to the modern fiction tales because what yeah. usually would happen, it would be a like a stereotypical yes and between two mm-hmm. people where two people are in the know, yeah and they keep like building oh, a story off each other Oh yeah and there's one dude who's like a greenhorn who knows nothing about it yeah it's like the snipe hunt it's literally the snipe hunt because the snipe is literally a fearsome critic oh, oh nice so it's basically hazing rituals. yeah <laughs> um so, for the most part, these stories were crafted initially to explain a noise or an event, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes it would be to save pace, like you got you got the shit scared out of you in the woods, yeah, right. um other times it would have tried to explain a recurring phenomenon. There's one fearsome critter that I remember finding uh, that's called the Hide behind mm-hmm. and that basically explains why loggers would sometimes not sometimes not come back from the woods because. There's this monster that hides behind trees every time mm-hmm. you walk through the forest, and if you look at it, it disappears, but it will still it will catch you eventually, yeah, um but regardless of the nature of the original telling, the act of retelling the story is where the life came into the story, mm-hmm. right because yeah. it started out as the this kernel of something and then it slowly evolved into something greater than mm-hmm. what it originally was, right, so the fur bearing trout. Originally was, you know, just a sick trout, but then yeah. eventually became a whole nother thing. And like, uh what is it? Like, it's like taxidermy pastiche or whatever mm-hmm. the heck it's called. You know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, so, uh, uh, like the jackalope is a similar thing where you, yeah. you, you, uh, gaffing, I think. Is that the yeah, word yeah, like a of? horse yeah. show gaff. Um,
1: yeah. Like the different fairies in the mermaids, the, the Fiji mermaid is a famous one um you get a lot of like snake boy and whatever girl and all of that and they're they're just things um that were made to be cool because they are cool i really like the the uh side yeah. gaffs and all that they're pretty pretty dope
2: yeah and yeah. they represent like it's like a weird form of creativity right yeah because yeah, it's yeah. a grift but at the same time like it's one of those grifts that i appreciate the artistry that went into the grift mm-hmm. totally yeah um most tall tales that are currently told to scout troops and young cancer campers <laughs> apparently i have i had to put a disclaimer that i'm going to be mispronouncing everything too yeah <laughs> uh, can trace their origin to these assortment of critters whether it be the elusive snipe or the malicious hide behind uh-huh this week we're going to inform you the listener of the fearsome critters stalking the woods for unsuspecting outdoors people read not me <laughs> i am in no way at risk for being harmed by any of these creatures so originally it was going to be multiple fearsome creatures, as i said at the top of the yeah episode. but it turns out the hoop snake's the hoop snake pretty dope has a lot it has some legs yeah despite being a snake I get your joke, damn it. There we go. So, I'm going to read you the excerpt from uh, the Fearsome Critters book. Okay, that's a pretty dope picture it's got there, too. Yeah, that's actually, like, the original woodcut of the... Oh, uh, is it? Yeah, yeah. That's, That's... I found this on a... There's, like, an HTML version of the book that's available. Yeah. The book itself was published in 1939, so I don't think it's technically in the public domain, but um yeah that's not public domain i don't think i don't know public domain's all screwy but (laughs) uh whoever owns the rights to the book posted online so cool so uh henry h tyron yeah tryon he uh he would give the fearsome critters like fake names like scientific names No, he's not a (laughs) Lannister Uh, so this is the fake name that he gave it okay which is not as far as I can tell is nothing Mm -hmm. I think it's more of a uh, of a joke name than a real name (laughs) (laughs) jeez I'm dying so it was Serpent Circulus caught (laughs) a venifer (laughs) i
1: love it it's a great
2: it's a great name that's so (laughs) So, good a well-known menace its existence throughout thoroughly is a well-known menace its existence is thoroughly established by numerous reports from highly credible parties the characteristics appear to be about the same in all regions its habit of tucking its tail in its mouth and rolling at incredible speed in pursuit of its prey or fancied enemy, is not duplicated, fortunately, by any other member of the animal kingdom, which was spelt anonized, so I think this yeah. was a, uh, like, I think it was scanned. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the tale ends in a stinger carrying venom of such power that a dose of but .003 parts per million is sufficient to make even the leather-skinned hodag turn green and swell up and die inside of an hour. That's pretty powerful. That's real wow. powerful. No wonder that folks wise in the woods lore are wary of this circular engine of destruction.
1: Oh, that's, this guy's pretty good. Oh, it's, it's phenomenal. <laughs> the,
2: the writing of all the fears and glories wow. is wonderful. Yeah. It's like, he welcome may to travel. Thunderdome. It basically. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Uh, he may travel on just one cylinder, but that's mm-hmm. all he needs. <laughs> The speed reached in rolling is nothing short of remarkable. A full-grown rack rabbit is pie for the snake. <laughs> you want to try that again. A full-grown jackrabbit is pie for the snake. <laughs> I like a full-grown rack rabbit. <laughs> a rack rabbit. Well, that's the next cryptid. Uh, <laughs> it's an inverted. Dra- it's an inverted rabbit. Oh, I don't gross. know what that. I don't know what that would be, but it's nightmare. It just runs around in pain. Everything hurts.
1: Why?
2: <laughs> uh, a mature snake, when hooped, has a diameter of one point five nine two three feet. Okay. Uh, he has he has been clocked after being enticed to on a clearly clever. Uh, he has been clocked after being enticed onto a cleverly designed rolling meter platform at an RPM of about 1056, or a straightaway speed of some 60 miles per hour. Oh, wow. The only way to outrun him is to climb over a fence. The snake must unhoop to get through. <laughs>
1: That's pretty amazing.
2: There's still That's more. I'm not done. That's awesome. The. It, 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 oh hmm? it goes on though okay there are many authentic cases of death from this reptile's venom possibly the most convincing bit of data is that in a fit of peak a hoop snake stung one of paul bunyan's PV handles of course this handle was a sizable stick to start with but the venom swelled to such a dimension that paul cut it up into 946 cords of wood and then the dang stuff wouldn't burn it just lay in the stove and I like that he's tying together all these <clears throat> all these
1: different pieces of American folklore. He's bringing in Paul Bunyan, he's bringing in the Hodag, he's doing all of this other stuff and he's also throwing in the uh, you, you know 60 miles per hour and uh, it's diameter of 1.5923 feet. Also, why nobody you don't there's no reason to measure something organic up to the fourth decimal
2: point yeah that's five sig figs yeah it's a little it's a little intense so kind of going off that i would feel very guilty if i did a really in-depth analysis of this story as a hoax yeah because it's got extremely precise measurements of venom the diameter of the snake hooped uh it has paul bunyan it has a speed of 60 miles per hour it's a fast snake it's like a that's a freaking cheetah. <laughs> right? Like, it's clearly a tall tale. There's yeah. there's no way around it. At least this version of the story is guaranteed to be a tall tale. Yes. And not to mention this this means of rolling locomotion is only shared by uh the Suchino Yokai in the Mongolian Death <laughs> So yeah. yeah. Uh basically In my mind, the hoop snake is taking the childhood game of like hoop rolling, yeah, mixing it with the very real threat of venomous venomous snakes, and the 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 story is being told in areas of the United States where there are venomous snakes. So yeah, it might be just like a fun take on something for people or something along those lines. Um, Yeah, it's an embellishment, right? It's Mm -hmm. a it's a warning. Hey, be careful snakes are venomous and then you make them even more scary by have them having them go 60 miles per hour and Mm -hmm. able to bite wood and make it swell up yeah so i was gonna originally leave it here okay Okay. story but i thought let's look into this legend a little bit (laughs) uh I'm gonna say this from the perspective of I think that the hoop snake is a tall tale. Uh huh. I'm no. not trying to. I'm not no. trying to. Yeah, I know it's shocking, right? I'm not trying to reduce the value of the tall tale. I think as a tall tale, it's great. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's fun. Right? Like, yeah. Imagine a hoop snake coming at you. That'd be nightmarish.
1: Oh yeah. Uh you could you, you could uh close pin a ball card to it so it sounds like a motorcycle. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, but it doesn't have an axle.
1: We'll give it one. We'll give it one. So, imagine how, would you how fast do that? a bicycle could go if you restrained two hoop
2: snakes and got them to work in concert. Oh boy. I mean, it would go 60 miles an hour. Yeah. They're not it's not going to exceed the maximum speed of either hoop snake. No. If anything, it will be slightly slower. Yeah, well, they've got to carry
1: my, my weight on it.
2: Well, yeah, that's... Poor hoop snakes.
1: Poor, poor hoop snakes. <laughs> Just putting a human on it in general.
2: It's a snake. It can't support that.
1: Yeah, well, all snakes are demons, so...
2: That's true. That's true. That's what the Bible <laughs> says. It does. Um, So, I did some research. And I okay. found a really... I actually found a really good article. Uh, it was in Natural History magazine. Mm-hmm. I think it was dated 1925. Uh, okay. This dude basically found a bunch of historical references. He was... um, I, I go over who he is in a little bit, but... He found a bunch of historical references mm-hmm. to this story. Oh, nice. Uh, And I was astonished because there's a actual chronology and evolution... Of the hoop snake itself. No shit. Okay. That's pretty yeah. dope. Yeah. Uh, so, the earliest occurrence I could find of a description of the venomous hoop snake was mm-hmm. dated 1688 and written by John Clayton in a letter to the Royal Society of London. Okay. The horn snake is, as they say, another sort of deadly snake. I never saw any of them unless once, shortly after my arri- arrival in that country, which I cannot attest to being the horn snake i could not distinctly view it being in a thicket of sumac there's this is a very long run-on sentence by the yeah. way because apparently uh in the 1600s uh people liked run-on sentences it's all commons colons and semicolons yeah um yeah. it was perched up about two feet high in a sumac branch its tail twisted about the shrub and about a quarter yard stood bolt forward leaning over the fourth branch thereof i could not see the horn with which it strikes, and if it wounds, is as deadly as the rattlesnake's bite. I like that there's an E at the end of horn. I just like unnecessary E's. It's funny because every other occurrence of horn uh, doesn't have the E. It's just that one. Huh. Yeah. The gentleman that was with me told me that it was the horn snake, but being in haste, hast, which I assume is haste, yeah. I like how they, they, they put the E on some of them and then take the e away from other (laughs) words
1: uh there's a they have a set number of e's that they can use so they've got to move them around
2: we gotta we we've got a limited number of e's okay you can only use 10 e's per sentence it's the most expensive letter well yeah well that kind of makes sense considering it's in so many words yeah oh yeah if you're doing crypto if you're doing a uh trying to attempt to create a cipher for cryptography you look for e's i's and o's i think first okay With e being the most prevalent because it's actually the most used letter in the english language yeah. so if it's a straight uh replacement cipher mm-hmm. it's the best way to figure it out You'd be good at Hunt a
1: Killer, because there's a lot of ciphers in there.
2: Oh, I'm terrible at ciphers. Okay. <laughs> I. So here's the thing. like uh-huh. I know a lot about code and code breaking. Yeah. I'm terrible at application of it. I. So <laughs> I actively uh, – every time I see an escape room, there's a part of me that's like, that might be fun. And then I think about it, and I'm like, no, I just get really mad because yeah. it's one of those situations where uh, – People create these mysteries, yeah, and the solutions are what makes sense to them, yeah, and I hate that. <laughs> you should just show up to an escape room with a set of lock picks <laughs> uh, i i uh I don't know if I told you the story, but i locked I got myself locked out of my office recently, yeah and um turns out i know how to uh break into uh most doors <laughs> that don't have a deadbolt yeah uh all you need literally is a uh credit card yep yeah uh anywho <laughs> we're not gonna go into how i broke into it yeah i keep a set of lock picks in the car do you really? Uh be careful with that, because you can get in trouble for keeping a set of lock picks in your car. You can have them
1: for personal use for if you get locked yeah. out of your house or, or garage or whatever.
2: Yeah. Just you know. Don't <laughs> let them know you have them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, so but being in hast enhanced... okay, here we go. And on horseback, and the snake in the thicket. I could not see the horn, but I had thought I should ever see I should never have seen more of them. I should have taken a little pains to have been better satisfied. This I think may not improperly be referred to the dark snake. Um it's a little bit it's sixteen it's sixteen hundreds English, so it's a little bit hard to parse. Uh but the long and short of it is he saw a snake that he thinks was something called the horn snake. Yeah. Which, based on his description, is a super venomous snake, because keep in mind, the rattlesnake is, like, super venomous, especially in this time. Because I think anti-venom didn't get created until the 1800s, like, Mm -hmm. late 1800s. I'll buy it. So you're pretty much dead if you get bit by a rattlesnake. Um, uh,
1: If you want to go down a uh, uh, YouTube hole later, check out The and Lawyer on YouTube is pretty great he he picks like every lock imaginable under like five like he tries to find the hardest ones and he gets them all done under like five minutes and people send him like custom built locks that they they uh like they machine stuff custom and like put little traps and stuff in them Mm -hmm. so so that like if you do something wrong you're you're screwed and uh uh, it's pretty great
2: that's pretty awesome i'll have to check it out
1: I'd also be interested in seeing um, anti-venom, how quickly that um, they came up with the different varietals of that. Because I just learned that um, in vaccines, Mm -hmm. after we got the rubella vaccine, the first one, Mm -hmm. it was 80 years until we came up with a second vaccine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I did do some research into anti-venom for this episode. Yeah. Um I don't have it in the copy because I didn't think it was useful, but since we were talking about it, uh the way that it works is you denature a snake's venom a little bit mm-hmm. and then you put it into a horse, cow, or sheep, and then okay. you harvest the plasma from that because that has the antibodies to deal with it. Gotcha. And then you use that as the anti venom. Oh, so well, I didn't it's know one that of those pretty interesting. It's one of those weird things where the way... Cause, cause Venom is different than uh, viruses because venom doesn't really change all that much. Yeah. Right? So we don't really need... uh, Once we have a process, Mm -hmm. we don't really need to redefine it as much as we do for, like, the influenza vaccine, for example. Yeah. And uh, anti-venom works in a different way because uh, you're literally... It's literally antibodies that are getting pushed into you yeah it's not uh it's not like a antiviral where it's training your immune system you're literally augmenting the immune system so it's 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 subtly different
1: okay but
2: um i might have also gotten all that wrong because that was off the top of my head based on an Mm. article i read last night so (laughs) (laughs) um but the key to the key to anti-venom is you have to get it there's a there's a set window that you have. Yeah. Because once you once systems are damaged by venom, the anti venom will help you. Gotcha. Like so if you if you stop breathing because You of can't venom, undo anything. You, you can't can undo it. something you that can hasn't just, happened already. Correct. Gotcha. That's the way it works. So that's why if you get bitten by a snake, you generally want to tie a tourniquet. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. If so, like if you get if you get bit on the hand, you want to tie a tourniquet on your arm. Yeah, but plain and simple. And if you don't know how to tie a tourniquet, I actually super recommend learning how to tie a tourniquet to everyone. Mm-hmm. It's super useful. There's no <laughs> joke in that. There's no. I. I'm just. I'm just legitimately saying, learn yeah. how to tie a tourniquet. Uh huh. Uh, because you might save someone's life. Yeah, they do it different now. Do they? Yeah, the, I forget the, way... the
1: exact example, but the um there's just a YouTube video where they had EMTs on and they're showing you how to address different like burns and cuts and in punctures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um they they it's slightly different than the way I ha- had learned when I was younger, maybe like 10 years ago
2: or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so the way that I learned it was you take a stick right you you wrap someone's arm then you place the you wrap the the a piece of cloth around a stick and then you yeah. just twist as hard as you can and then yeah. you tie a second uh you tie a second piece of fabric around the uh the stick and immobilize the stick and that's how you tie a tourniquet properly. Yeah
1: I would have to uh rewatch that video cuz I don't remember exactly how it's different but that's basically like an okay impromptu yeah. tourniquet, but if you have one done by an EMT, it's, it's different. It's
2: different. Yeah, I okay. forget exactly
1: how, but I think that way um, causes potential damage.
2: Uh, well, yeah, that's that's the. Uh, so I I learned I used to. This is a fact about me that not many people know. Uh, I used to participate in Boy Scout first aid competitions. Yeah. So that was the methodology that they taught us for the competition. Yeah. Like but then again, I also did that back in like 2007. So my my knowledge of first aid might change, might be out of date because those things do change. So. Yeah, like even
1: uh, like the Heimlich and all that, like they don't do that anymore. They have a different oh, really? thing that they do. And there's yeah, like they just don't do it. They they have a different method and they have um what else has changed? The whole, like, mouth-to-mouth thing, uh, yeah. CPR, CPR is different now.
2: Um, I, I think, if I remember correctly, you don't do rescue breathing in CPR anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the compression's more important than the the air into the airway. Anywho, we, we've gotten off topic, but legitimately, everyone benefits from knowing a little CPR, a little, little first aid. Yeah. Like... That's a fact. This story is referring to a horn snake. And now you may say, John, that's not a hoop snake. That's a horn snake. That's a horn snake. However. Yes. Turns out this is the, like, proto-form of the ah, hoop snake. okay. So, it was originally known for its sting. Right? Mm-hmm. The tail. Like, in this case, the, the horn is existing at the the forehead, right? Yeah. Which... Is, you know, not a particularly common thing in snakes, and by that I mean there's no snakes that use a horn to sting. Um, yeah. And it had not yet acquired its peculiar mode of locomotion.
1: Okay, when you said horn snake, I was thinking about the snakes that have like, just over their eyes, like the weird little pointy scales. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, realized you were talking, you're talking like unicorn snake.
2: No, this is like a unicorn
1: Shit. in okay. this intercarnation. Yeah. so, So,
2: um, basically, the the thought is this is the first like literary occurrence of the horn snake. Yeah. Right? Then in 19, in 1722, mm-hmm. the horn has migrated to the tail of the horn snake. And okay. there's an account by an individual named Robert Beverly that says, They like, have likewise the horn snake, so called for a sharp horn it carries in its tail. Which it assaults anything that offends it with a force that is said with its strike tail. Uh, let me reread that because this is once again <laughs> the seventeen hundreds. Like like this time period of English is like just close enough that I recognize what it's saying, but it's hard to parse and hard to speak. Yeah. They have likewise the horn snake, so called from a sharp horn it carries in its tail, with which it assaults anything that offends it with the force that as it is said it will strike its tail into the front end of a musket from whence it is not able to disengage itself so horn snake once again and now the 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 horn mechanism exists in the tail which if yeah. you remember the fearsome critter story was where the snakes you know put their the, mouth the, they use their they use their tail to stick yeah so We can see that there's an evolution of this myth. Now, rather than being in the head, it's moved to the tail. And now you Mm got to remember, America's a young country at this point. Well, it's not America yet. It's a young region at this point. Yes. To Europeans. So this is not like a crazy thing, because there's already been animals that are just like, what? Yeah. Right? So we're already – this is not insane that a, like, a, magically there's a lizard, a reptile, that has the ca- characteristics of an insect.
1: Yeah, it's also approaching the period where the modern pizza um, may be coming into effect. Hmm. Because tomatoes um, were native to North North America, uh, not Italy. They had
2: to be brought over. Yeah, I'll, I know that. that. that... That does track. It's weird that pizza is so associated with, like, the modern conception of pizza is so associated with Italy. Yeah. It's just, it because, like, they did have a form of pizza, but I don't think it had tomato paste, so. No, it's tomato-less. It was,
1: like, all the yeah. old shit that you'd throw down to a bread and,
2: and, and eat it. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anywho, so, this incarnation of the horn snake would persist up until 1779. And there's a description by. Okay, that's a good while. Yeah, so this is kind of what the horn snake exists. The horn snake exists like this. There's no hoop snake at this point. Okay. Um, Alexander Hewitt had a particular passage about the horn snake as well. The horn snake is also found here, which takes its name from a horn in its tail, with which he defends himself and strikes with great force into every aggressor. This reptile is also deemed very venomous, and the Indians. When wounded by him, usually cut out the part wounded as quickly as possible, so as to prevent the infection spreading through the body. So.
1: Okay, so this is where Venom sort of comes into play for the first time.
2: Yes. Well, they, they said that it was as poisonous as a rattlesnake in the first yeah. century. Oh, but did they? Okay. They, they, do, they do very much, like, hammer home that this is a venomous snake, Uh, you want to deal with it as quickly as possible, because... Yeah like, North America is particularly bad when it comes to venomous creatures. Yeah. I mean, Australia's pretty bad, too, but North America is pretty bad. We do have a lot of very venomous and poisonous uh, species. Mm-hmm. Um, the fanged particularly, goat. Huh? The fanged goat. Yeah, that's a, that's a bad one, because yeah. that, that definitely exists. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, the accounts ultimately paint a rather... Interesting story about a snake. Um, Through some evolutionary mechanism, it developed an attack mechanism using its tail. Uh, And while this is frequently seen in the animal kingdom, this venom delivery mechanism is unheard of in snakes. Right? True, yeah. However, through some prodigious Googling and cursory research, uh, I was able to find one species of frog the Greening's frog, which okay. has skull spines capable of injecting a venom through headbutting.
1: Oh, that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. So while I couldn't find any cases of snakes having a venom delivery mechanism other than through salivary glands and their their jaw. Yeah. Um. Which is, I think, if the way, if I remember correctly, the way uh, snakes deliver venom is effectively like a hypodermic needle. Which is really yeah. Cool. Um. But the long and short of it it's super unlikely for a snake to have uh, an alternate delivery mechanism for venom. Mm-hmm. But because there's another reptile that does have a delivery mechanism similar to the horn snake. Yeah. Uh, of of folklore. I'm not going to completely discount it at this time. It would just be super rare. Mm-hmm. And super unlikely. Now, before we go into the horn snake becoming the hoop snake, Yes, I want to take a moment to talk about snake tales.
1: Oh, right on! Is it is it just cool stories, cool like campfire stories that snakes tell each other? Yes,
2: dope. It's usually a, it's usually accompanied by cassonets <laughs> So, as we have no existing horn slash hoop snake specimens, I thought it would be important to take a look at the behaviors that other species of snake in the region exhibit vis-a-vis the tips of their tails. So, when mentioning a snake's tail, it's impossible to not mention the rattlesnake. Because, uh, in addition to already being called out by name no less than three times in quotes related to the snake, <laughs> uh this grouping of snakes is endemic to much of the United States. Um, I think there's like, if my memory is correct, around like 35 different species of rattlesnake in the United States with like oh, that's 65 a subspecies. Yeah. Pretty much everywhere in the continent of the United States has a version of the rattlesnake. Yeah. Um. Owing to its widespread distribu- distribution and potent venom, which if untreated will kill you, uh, the rattlesnake grouping of snakes or pit, vi- which is a of the type pit viper. Mm-hmm. Um, account for nearly ninety-five percent of fatalities from steak bites in the United States. Ooh. Shoot. Which is literally because there's so many of them. Yeah. Cause I mean I mean we have uh in our region we have uh I think timber rattlers, if my correct. Yep. Um there's four species east of the Mississippi and the remaining species are all to the west and mm-hmm. generally in the southwest with I think Texas and Arizona having the most species local to them, okay um so behaviorally, the rattlesnake is known for its use of the its eponymous rattle um mm-hmm. the currently accepted hypothesis is that the evolution of the rattle is that the rattle is a warning device for predatory animals that might be a threat to the rattlesnake mm-hmm. it produces a signal to drive them away using the rattle that s- Yeah. S- noise yeah. that the rattlesnake is known for and actually Mm -hmm. it's really cool because like uh it needs two rattle segments to be able to produce that rattle so um child rattlesnakes and like you know neonatal rattlesnakes yeah won't have the rattle and they don't get it until they're like a year old or something like that oh okay so before that they have like a button that exists that there's a place that the rattle will grow into because it's like a keratin based thing yeah and Frequently, rattlesnake tails will fall off. Mm-hmm. Like like their their rattlers will break off because it's yeah. just character. So, yeah. you know, it's really easy for it to get damaged. And I didn't know this, but rattlesnakes travel with their rattle held up. Oh, uh, okay, to protect it. Yep. That's actually kinda cool. That's a cool yeah. snake fact for you. Um yeah. due to the deadly venom possessed by the rattlesnake and the tail behavior. It is possible that some elements of the Horn Snake story might have originated from a maldescription of the rattlesnake. Yeah. In my eyes. Now, that being said, I did a little more research. Mm-hmm. And I found another snake that might have something to do with the horn snake. Okay. So, uh, there is a spe there exists a species of snake known as the Mud Snake. Uh its natural habitat is basically the Mississippi River down mm. to the American Southeast and a little bit of the Southwest, and then it creeps okay. up the coast to uh, Virginia, roughly. Uh huh. Um, it has a very unique tail behavior, though. Okay. And it's very important. And its tail has a very unique uh, quality to it. Mm-hmm. So the horns the, the 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 mud snake is a yeah. non venomous snake. Okay. and it's known as a horn snake due to a spine-like scale at the tip of its tail. Oh, okay. So, when captured, the mud snake will not bite, but rather press their pointed tail tip harmlessly into their captor. <laughs> Some accounts do indicate that it will prod and poke prey with its... Uh, uh, they poop its, you. Yeah, its pointed tail. Um, I didn't find out about this until after i'd written a bit about the rattlesnake yeah. but it's
1: it, pretty interesting because that fits other than the hoop part and the poison part the description of the horn snake
2: yes so it turns out that these are called horn snakes despite uh, being non-venomous so yeah. um to me this indicates that the fictional horn snake is a sort of uh chimera that mixes yeah. the venom of the well-known and extremely dangerous rattlesnake with the behaviors of the less common and harder-to-find mud snake. Because mud yeah. snakes are actually fairly secretive creatures based on some of the accounts I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do have behavior that, like, results in them hiding more frequently. Yeah.
1: Um, As a non-venomous creature, that makes sense. That it would be, yeah. unless it's actively hunting, that it would be trying to stay out of sight.
2: Yeah, because it, it, it mainly – its main prey is, like, salamanders and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. Now, given the time period that a lot of these accounts happen and the fact that the Americas are still young to Europeans, um, the natural wildlife and geography is fa- fairly alien, right? Mm-hmm. So anytime you see anything that you don't know, it's like, hmm, huh. I wonder what's going on with this thing. Yeah. Right? And the mud snake does have black and red coloration, which, for those of you who don't know, black and red coloration generally indicates some kind of venom. Yes. So, generally speaking, if you see red on a snake, it's probably a safe bet to avoid it. I
1: would say avoid it completely. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. <laughs> That's a fact. Yeah. So... Uh, it also tracks that there might be, even if this version of this the creature is non-venomous, there might yeah. be a venomous version. Mm-hmm. And I say that because the United States literally has two snakes that look almost identical. They're the Scarlet yeah. King and the Coral Snake. So if you've never seen that before, uh, there's like a, a rhyme that's like red and black is safe. And... It's, red touches yellow,
1: you're a dead fellow. Red touches black, you're okay, Jack. That's it. Now, I did
2: not remember it.
1: Here's something important, so I remember that because one, I hate snakes, and two, I hate things that can kill me. So I remember that very well from one from whenever I learned it. There are, I don't know, I don't believe this is in the United States, um, but outside, definitely outside of the United States, that mm. is not always true because there are there's another snake that looks exactly like the non venomous snake, <laughs> the Scarlet King. And, yeah, uh, it is. It will get you. Yeah. <laughs> so just rule of
2: thumb, avoid them either way. Yeah, yeah. It's it's probably fair. So yeah. in this case, i I'm almost positive that the Scarlet Snake, the Scarlet King evolved, yeah, uh, with alongside the Eastern Coral Snake because it gains the reputation from the Eastern Coral Snake. So it was yeah. advantageous to have that color scheme. Uh huh. Um, at a glance, though. They look like they're just different individuals from the same species. Yeah. Like if you didn't know better, you'd think that they were the snakes same species of snake. Oh yeah. However, they are literally different species, and that coloration could be literally life or death. Yes. <laughs> um so if you're in a strange land and this is something you've encountered, it's not really that surprising to think that there might be a venomous version of the mud snake. Yeah. So I'm I totally can see where this uh creature could come from. Right? Cuz mm-hmm. like if you think, "Oh, hey, I'm in a place that has a bunch of things that will kill me with just venom." Yeah. It's not surprising. So It's at this point that I'm going to go back to the hoop stand. Nice. So um the earliest permutation of the hoop snake is found in uh uh 1784. Okay. Um uh, the moniker is not coined by this individual, but he does report on this moniker. And it yeah. was in North Carolina that uh JFD Smith encountered an individual who referred to something as the hoop snake. That's you. Yeah, it's me. I, I travel through time. You're John fucking Dunham. John fucking Dunham. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anyone called me John fucking Dunham. I got called Johnny D a lot. Uh huh. I think that was the most common nickname for me. Mainly because it flows off the tongue very well. Yeah. It was mostly... Now I'm trying to think. Who called me Johnny D? There's a few people who called me Johnny D pretty commonly. I don't know. I always called you John. (laughs) Yeah. So I I don't know. Well, people who I was I spent time with generally didn't call me Johnny D. Yeah. Like if I played Halo with you more nights than not, you probably didn't call me Johnny D. Yeah. It was more people who I knew at school. Like Mm -hmm. I think it was mainly girls who called me Johnny D. If my memory is correct. Oh, I can (laughs) see that. Yeah. Yeah. It was I mean, I had no problems with it. It wasn't a bad nickname. There are worse nicknames than Johnny D. Oh yes. Like <laughs> honestly, in high school, John fucking Dunham might be a worse nickname. <laughs> but regardless, um so Me Smith uh, has a story <laughs> from North Carolina. Uh uh-huh. So very virulent is the snake's poison that it is reported. If he should miss the object he is pointed at, it should strike his horn through the bark of a young sapling. If it penetrates into the sap or vital parts, the bark or rind will, within a few hours, swell, burst, and peel off, and the tree itself will perish. As the other serpents crawl upon their bellies, so can this, but he has another method of moving peculiar to his own species, which he always adopts when he is in eager pursuit of his prey. He throws himself into a circle, Running rapidly around, advancing like a hoop, with its tail arising pointed forward in the circle, by which he is always in the ready position for striking. It is observed that they only make use of this method in attacking, for when they fly from their enemy, they go upon their belly like other serpents. So it's, it's, he doesn't use it to flee, he only uses it for attack. You, um, yeah. From the above circumstances peculiar to themselves, they have also derived the appellation of hoop snakes
1: so so when was the, this 1784 this is the first time hoop snake appears in text
2: correct so far okay um and at this point the modern conception of the cryptid is basically formed. Uh, yeah i would like, also
1: say rolling in a hoop you're not always in the right position to it yeah
2: i thought that was weird too because there is like what is it uh Let's let's assume a, an angle of about ninety degrees is good for attacking. There's yeah. about two hundred and seventy degrees of your rotation that's not good. But then again, if you're rotating at uh, what was it, ten ninety five rotations per minute, you're effectively always ready to attack. Yeah. But um, yeah. So at this point, it's pretty much fully formed. Uh, yeah. It doesn't really change that much between. 1784, and uh, 1939, I think? No. Yeah, 1939. Yeah. It, it, it basically remains the same uh-huh. from this point on, which yeah. is kind of remarkable for uh, a story like this. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. Because usually they do change a lot more, but from this point on, it, it's kind of wild how much the story doesn't change anymore, which, considering the fact that in the previous 100 years, it changed a lot. Because it went from having a horn on Ted to being a tail stinger based snake that was super venomous. Yeah. So, um, the differing features of the snake at this point are like embellishments, like the fact yeah. that it it could go sixty miles an hour, or the fact that it it you know, had a venom that was 0.03 parts per million effective, yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. That, How many,
1: that makes me interested in seeing how toxic other snakes venom is.
2: I did not look into that. But the main reason I didn't look into that is because... All uh, the other numbers are made up, so why bother? Yes, so why bother? <laughs> it's so, it's so, yeah. Um, yeah. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. At this point, if you go off of the fearsome critters yeah. uh, description of the hoop snake, it's a literal apex predator. <laughs> like, it would be a nightmare creature, and it, it, it the, the strength of its venom such that it can destroy a hodag, which is a very if you are familiar with the hodag, it's like mm-hmm. a frog faced, weird dog pig monster. Yeah, um, and it's big. So, if it can kill that in an hour, then it would have no problem taking down a human right no, not at all. Uh, it's venom's terrifying and but nonsensical. It's <laughs> locomotion is ridiculous. literally on the par on par with the cheetah, yeah, and the cheetah, for those of you who don't know, is the fastest land yeah, and the best cat outside of me when I have to poop that's true. I, I'll I'll beat anyone to a toilet. <laughs> because I don't know what it is. There's something in my genetics. Maybe it's because of the crimes I do to tacos. But I, I'm mm-hmm. punished with a severe desire to use the bathroom when I need to yeah. use it.
1: I would be interested in learning why when you have a code brown, when you've got a number two, mm-hmm. the need to poo seems linear, but The closer you get to a bathroom, it becomes nonlinear and significantly worse the closer you get.
2: I think it's a psychological factor. I bet. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Uh, You're not near a bathroom, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, I don't think this is going to go bad. I mean, I need to get to a bathroom, but it's not going to go bad yet. I can just wait it out. I can just wait it out. You get close to a bathroom, it then becomes... I am not going to be the person who shits his pants outside of the bathroom, <laughs> because at that point you get one, and then yeah. it's over. Mm-hmm. Once it happens, you're over. Yeah. Because then you're just going to be shitting your pants for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> and you want you want to you want to avoid that occurrence because that's a turning point oh, yeah. in your life. Once that happens, it's it's over. You're on a down. You're down. You're downhill. That's it. It's downhill from there. There's no way of recovering whatsoever because at that point you've just your life your life is is forfeit. <laughs> you um, take this
1: very seriously.
2: I do. It's a legitimate concern of mine. <laughs> the, the, the the it's just a fact of the matter. It, it's it's yeah. stressful. I live with that fear. I carry that weight. <laughs> <laughs> In your pants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just imagining the ending uh credits of uh of Cowboy Bebop playing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I almost credit myself right next to you once. Um, oh it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, down on uh on the way back from, from uh Tubin so or whatever. Tubin'. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Oh man. I remember that. That was a close call.
1: It is very close. That was I, a close call. We had to stop the car
2: and I had to do an impromptu. Yeah. I think we went like I think we stopped at like a greenhouse and you pooped in like a burnt out house. I did go in, in a greenhouse.
1: We stopped the car and went in a greenhouse with nothing I, but McDonald
2: napkins. I remember that. I remember that. That was a nightmare. <laughs> <sighs> All right, well, now that we've taken a poop. Break. Uh-huh. I got I got a little bit more to tell you about the hoop snake. Ooh, okay. So because the hoop snakes haven't taken control of the world and given me giving giving us terrible terrible poops. Yeah. Poop snakes. Um, I think it's fair to assume that they're a fabrication. Yeah. Um, that being said, from where does this fabrication occur? Um, according to Carl Patterson Schmidt. Who's the who was the assistant curator of reptiles and amphibians from the Field Museum of Natural History, and I should add the primary source for this episode because we did a lot of good research and he had a lot of good. He was the person who who collated all those stories and okay many thanks to him. Um yeah. it very it was very good research actually. Um, nice, and you know I I did a little bit more but man, he laid it out in such a way that it makes total sense. Um. And I should also note that he performed this research in 1925, which I think mm. I said at the top of the episode, but I can't yeah. remember. Um, tales of the hoop snake were virulent in the American South, like mm-hmm. crazy popular at that time period. Yeah. Um, and if you think back to the range of rattlesnake and mud snakes, the two species are particularly present in this region. Um, additionally, the snakes do frequently coil on coil on themselves. Perhaps providing the uh, mental image to build upon. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the idea is you see a snake, it's coiled up like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe snakes coil up like that. And then you also add in to the fact that there's a sidewinder exists as a snake. True. Right? So you see a sidewinder moving, and you explain it to someone else, and then through the grapevine it becomes, oh, hey, it rolled through the desert. Yeah. So you already have a mental model to build on top of. And then you add a peculiar form of locomotion for a snake that actually exists, suddenly you've got a hoop snake that spins at 60 miles an hour. Yeah. So I, I think, I honestly think it was just uh, campfire tales that grew up into something kind of wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because there's no reported deaths at the hand of a hoop snake. <laughs> they have no hands, John. That's true. It was at the tail. Um and like in the modern era, they're not even talked about anymore, really. Outside of no. folklore. Like a lot of cryptids you'll still hear stories of. Mm-hmm. Like you'll even hear people joking about jackrabbits to this day. Jackalopes. Yes,
1: jackalopes. Uh, I, I mean. think the first and last time I heard about a hoop snake. I don't remember if if this was with my family or if it was for a school trip. It was one of those um, old-timey reenactment areas where they have, like, people in costume and they're churning butter and and they're Mm -hmm. making musket balls and the such. And I think that might have been when I first heard about the uh, hoop and stick game and the hoop snake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: No, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um. I've never heard of the hoop snake outside of the context of research and cryptids. Okay. Uh, and it's weird, but I guess this must have been a more popular topic in like the 30s. Oh, I believe it. Um, because in a, when I was looking for data on the hoop snake, yeah. Um, in the most recent thing I could find on it, there was a ten thousand dollar reward placed in trust by the Bronx Zoo naturalist. Raymond Ditmars, for the first person to prove evidence of the snake. This was in the 30s? Sometime in the 30s. I couldn't find oh, a definitive right article. Because yeah. the guy died in, like, the 40s. So, I assume okay. it was probably sometime in the 30s or 20s or something in like yeah. that range. Um, given the fact that uh, the Carl Patterson Schmidt wrote an article in 1925, I would yeah. assume it was maybe actually even earlier in the 20s. Because... Okay. Then it would make sense for him to write it because if there's a $10,000 reward out. Yeah. It made a lot, lot of money th- back then. Yeah, it was a lot of money. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think it's a fascinating piece of American folklore. Yeah. I think it's a fun story. I think there's some pretty freaking hilarious images associated with it. There's one in the copy for this week's episode that is probably my favorite image of anything. The ever. guy running down. Oh, transform and roll out right under
1: the head. The guy running yeah. from a, <laughs> yeah.
2: that's, that's without a doubt. My favorite image of any, uh, cryptid that we've found on this podcast. So it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, <laughs> but more than that, yeah, I'm amazed that I was able to talk for an hour about the hoop snake on just the hoop snake. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm a little terrified to be totally honest because <laughs> I legitimately I was expecting to talk about the hoop snake for ten minutes yeah. when I started doing this research, mm-hmm. and it's phenomenal to me when you can find the resources on something like this, because you got to keep in mind, a lot of these, a lot of the sources that we quoted in yeah. this episode are like letters back to like the Royal Society of London. Oh, so yeah, we yeah, have, yeah. we have the benefit of this being a myth that was created in a culture of non of, uh, of, uh, of written word. Right? Yeah. Um. Even though it was augmented through non-written word and non-verbal communication, yeah, because of its nature and because of the type of creature it was, uh, we were able to get more solid, like, breadcrumbs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's happening. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of cases where we don't get these solid breadcrumbs. Yeah. And it, it kind of sucks. Like last week's episode, there's it's such a new cryptid mm-hmm. that we don't have the breadcrumbs, right? Oh yeah. And we can't see the evolution of the, the creature. We can only speculate on the evolution of the creature. In mm-hmm. this case, we have a concrete, like, directed evolutionary track for how the creature moved. Right? Yeah. It moves from the horn moved from the head to the tail. Became more venomous as time went. Then its attributes changed a little, became more aggressive. And then it became a literal demon wheel.
1: I like that it was so venomous it could kill a tree. <laughs> That's impressive. That's impressive
2: right there, yeah. It's also It also belies a critical misunderstanding of how venom works.
1: Yeah. And how so, trees work.
2: And how trees work. <laughs> yeah,
1: people and trees work different. Um... Yeah, I, I hate to, to break this earth shattering information upon you. <laughs> I'm a treant, excuse me.
2: <laughs> but yeah, so that's really all I got on the, the hoop snake to be honest. Mm-hmm. Honestly, what I was originally planning on doing was doing hoop snakes, hodags, and jackalopes. Oh yeah. Because those are our three Patreon tiers. Yeah. Um but I felt like I would be doing an injustice to hoop snakes if I didn't give them a full episode. Yeah, right on. Um also, a funny thing about this, this huh? was my second choice for this week. Because oh, really? I found a book on another cryptid as I was starting to research it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was two hundred and thirty pages and I found it yesterday. I'm like, yeah. I don't wanna read two hundred and forty pages in a day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a bit much.
2: <laughs> so we did the hoopsay. Yeah. <laughs> any good good call uh so i guess i guess it's time to, to launch into some plugs Woo! For, for our stuff and what have you um as always our website is still cryptopediacast.com i don't anticipate that changing anytime soon um on instagram we're at cryptopediacast twitter it's the same uh if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at cryptopediacast at gmail.com or us at Um As always, all these links are on the website, and generally we try to put some of them in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can visit our Patreon, which there is a link in the show notes. Ooh. Um, if you're on, like for example, uh, Podcast Addict, it literally has a thing that says support the show that you can click on. It's pretty cool. I found out about that recently. <laughs> um, on that Patreon, we'll post uh, the show notes, which are available at the Hodag tier, which is our second tier, which I think mm-hmm. is what do we have that at two dollars? Two, a month? two buckaroos. Um, we have a hoop snake tier, which is a effectively Good a dinero. thank you tier, which is yeah. a single dollar. You can donate as much as you want, but if you donate more than a dollar, I recommend upgrading to either the Hodag or the Jackalope tier. Mm. Um, just because then you actually get the content. Yeah. Um there's additionally the uh Jackalope tier which gives you access to premium podcasts, um the show notes and eventually uh maybe a video or two depending on when we decide to release those. Ooh. Um I know you did at least one Brandon. Yeah, I, I did a couple done two. Yeah. The, um, um,
1: I did a couple on, on our, uh, well, not our, on my first two. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's sure. sort of like, uh, we short, have short versions.
2: Yeah. We, we have some spec videos that we're planning on doing. Um, Brandon has two, I'll say there, there are pilots, so to speak. Yep. Cause we're, we're trying to figure out a format that works for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I like them so far, but we're we're gonna work. I, I got I got to do my my takes on it too. So, mm-hmm. and then we'll release them as pilots, and then you guys can give us feedback and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um. We also have a Facebook group. Oh yeah. Uh, we do post a lot of stuff in there, uh, and we try to interact with anyone who posts anything or says anything in there. Um, if you're interested, you can join, and we will accept you. As,
1: as long as long you're long as not you're a not robot.
2: A... Yep, as long as you're not a Russian porn bot, a shoe bot. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to say that I'm banning all robots, because if you're a sentient robot, I want you. Yep, and it is you.
1: a closed group, so... Uh, Post all the more, weird shit you want. Yeah, so your friends and
2: coworkers won't see all the weird shit. <laughs> yep, that's a part of the reason why we made it a closed group. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> If you like the podcast, we're good. Okay. You all are coming back. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It it makes us look more legitimate. Mm-hmm. Even though we released, this is what, episode 24? 24? Yeah. Uh, even though this is nearly a quarter of a hundred episodes. Oh, damn. Um, about half a year. Jesus. Yeah. Uh having reviews makes us look more legitimate and makes people more interested in potentially clicking. Um if you have any monster requests or stories, feel free to send them. Uh it's hard finding good monsters. It's so hard. So, the more requests you guys pump in, the better it is for us. If you've got any creepypasta or cryptopasta, I will eventually read some for the patreon feed <laughs> and if you suggested a creepypasta or cryptopasta uh i will send you personally a copy of that episode oh yeah um what do you got to plug brandon
1: you could find me on instagram at donkey underscore hands my website is boyerb.com my email is brandon at com, and my twitter is at crypto brandon capital c capital b
2: As always, if you want to get in contact with me, you can message You can see my many posts of 3D prints and dumb stuff at Mew2057. If you want to tweet at me, you can access me on at JF Dunham on Twitter. I said that really weird. Apparently, (laughs) I'm hungry and tired. So we got that going on. Um My website is johndunhamgames.com. Hey, guess what? Still not working. I can still cryptopedia. It yeah, yeah. Um, I really need to rewrite my website. I, I got some really fun games on there. I mean, they were fun. Well, man, if that's the fun, first time i some of them. That's the first time I got. It. I actually think I've ever complimented myself on my games. <laughs> uh, if you want to get in contact with me, you can also email me at john at dot com. Um yeah, and that's that's everything I've got going on, I think.
1: Yep. Our art was done by Tom Hill. You could find him on Instagram at Thomas Michael Hill. His website is greater com, and his email is tommikehill at gmail dot com. Yeah. Support him. He's a good yeah, guy. Yeah, he does good stuff. Yeah. He um He just did some more um All I, he does a lot of stuff for all things All comedy. things comedy, yeah yeah you can tell every time that they post something you can tell if it was him <laughs>
2: yeah he's got a very distinctive style i like yeah. it but he's got a great style yeah um which is part of the reason why it's our podcast because yeah. we like it. <laughs> <laughs> um as always i'm your sleepy host john i'm your oh,
1: oh, so so much energy host brandon and things are gonna get weird
0: theater I'm Fess Weiss tonight you're gonna hear the story of a long-forgotten American hero honey dipper Dan (laughs) long time ago when our land was young living was hard man had to draw his drinking water out of a well hunt his dinner in the heart of the forest when it came time to relieve himself he had to do it in an outhouse Trouble is, them outhouses would get full up, and somebody had to empty them out. Well, that somebody was Honey Dipper Dan. Honey Dipper Dan Dan was 20 feet tall, and when it came to honey dipping, he was better than them all. A giant of a man, strong and fit, and he wasn't a fear to handle him. Well, his honey dipping ladle was the Liberty Bell, and a redwood clothespin kept out the smell. That was a mountain where billy goats played, and his big giant boots had to be specially made. Honey dippers will they wear gloves, but not for old Dan. This is something he loved. He'd whistle as he worked, a credit to his species, ridden this country of big mounds up. Folks knew he was coming, you didn't have to tell him. The ground had shaken, and besides, you could smell him. you find him an outhouse an arm to that scoop, he'd pull off the roof and start spooning out. His life is a dream, and no one could spoil it till some city slicker went and thawed up the toilet. With a flush, it was over. Dan's heartbroken, too what was a honey dipping giant to do He laid down his ladle and just disappeared but old legend has it i know this sounds weird but late late at night put your ear to the can and if you hear a whistle it's probably